At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's important for athletes to, female athletes in particular, but all athletes, to not think of like themselves compared to their friends that perhaps aren't active. If performance really is your goal, then you need to fuel for performance. What's up, fellas? Welcome back to Commas Over Cold Brew with me, your host, Emma Abrahamson. Today, we're talking to a registered dietitian from Inside Tracker, and we're going to go over my entire blood work, which I think is going to be really intriguing. We're going to talk about different biomarkers, what I need to work on, why these things are important to better my performance as an athlete or also just in everyday life. This episode was super informational. I hope you guys really enjoyed. I know you guys love the nutrition-based episodes, so this is another perfect one, and you guys asked a bunch of questions, and Ashley, who is the registered dietitian from Inside Tracker, helped us answer all of it. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Stay tuned. In case you guys missed it, we now have Commas Over Cold Brew podcast merch. The link is in the show notes. We've got hoodies and stickers. So if you guys want to go rep the podcast, go check that out. Also, if you want bonus content and ad-free content, you can subscribe to our Patreon. The link is also in the show notes for that. And if you just love the podcast and you want to support it for free, rating and reviewing on Apple Podcasts helps so much. It really helps me build credibility for the podcast and be able to get on high-profile guests for you guys to enjoy. So if you guys take the time to do that, it's literally like, it takes probably 15 seconds. So I would really appreciate it. And obviously just listening every week and telling your friends helps too. So I really appreciate all of you guys for listening. So thank you. This episode is brought to you by Inside Tracker, of course. Do you want to run farther and faster and recover quicker and easier? Do you want to feel healthier than you've ever felt before? You need to make a change and that's what Inside Tracker is all about. Founded by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometric data from MIT, Tufts, and Harvard, Inside Tracker is a personalized health and wellness platform like no other. What's their secret? First, Inside Tracker uses its patented algorithm to analyze your body's data and offer you a clearer picture than you've ever had before of what's going on inside you. Then, Inside Tracker provides you with a concrete, science-backed, trackable action plan for reaching your performance goals and being your healthy best. You guys have probably already heard me talk about them on my food Instagram or just in this podcast. They've been a sponsor for a while, so I am a huge fan of Inside Tracker and I'm, I'm excited to dive more in depth. But Inside Tracker is offering my listeners a 25% off discount to their entire store. So just go to insidetracker.com slash Emma. That's insidetracker.com slash Emma because change is an inside job. Now let's get straight into today's episode. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really excited to have you on. I've been waiting for this episode because I'm excited to go over my results because a lot of um, the things I don't really understand for my blood work. So it's nice to have a dietitian on to fully cover it. So thank you for coming on. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I guess to get started for this whole episode, I kind of want to just be like informational to people listening and also a bunch of people asked me questions on my Instagram um, just about like nutrition in general so it's just going to be a nutrition focused episode but to start off the episode I guess we'll just go through I did an inside tracker ultimate blood test and yeah we're just going to go through a bunch of results and see what I can do better with my nutrition and how it will enhance my daily life and performance but yeah, so let's get started. Okay, what would so I am happy just to kind of run through your results, or we can talk specifically about certain markers, whatever works best for you. Well, we could start off with the ones I guess that are um, like the most at risk. I would say, and we could talk a little bit about each. I had, I've already shared a little bit on my Instagram about ones like cortisol that are really high on my end, and a lot of people had questions about that. But yeah, let's just start with the at risk ones. Okay. So the first one I'm looking at here is your lipid group. And if we look down into the markers that make up your lipid group, it's primarily coming from this LDL cholesterol. 
Have you ever talked to, are you familiar with cholesterol? Ever talked to anyone about cholesterol? I mean, I know there's good and bad cholesterol. And I was kind of shocked when I saw that mine was, my bad cholesterol was high or borderline high. It's honestly very common. Um, I think most people think that elevated cholesterol is reserved for like 65 year old couch potato males. And that's not the case. Um, it's actually something that we do see a you know, pretty regular amount in our population, which is generally active, healthy people. Um, but you're right, there's good cholesterol and quote unquote bad cholesterol. And this LDL is what is, can potentially be harmful. Um, we need cholesterol for a lot of things. So our body produces cholesterol. We need it for sex hormones, stress hormones, for vitamin D. Every single cell in our body has cholesterol um, as part of kind of its, its outer membrane. And then we also need it for creating a particular digestive compound, um, which we'll probably come back to. Um, so our body's going to make that cholesterol, but then depending on some things that we either include or don't include in our diet, that can also impact this LDL level in particular. Um, and it's considered quote unquote bad or potentially harmful just because it's the type of LDL or the, excuse me, a type of cholesterol if it's high for too long and there's some inflammation happening in your body from all sorts of other stuff. It's a type of cholesterol that can start basically to, to cause those plaques to build up in your arteries, which is essentially what causes your arteries to get a little bit more narrow and narrow as time goes by. Um, the good cholesterol, your HDL is awesome. And ideally, you really want to focus on these two being in a pretty good balance. The way that I kind of like to explain this good cholesterol and bad cholesterol is, is kind of a cops and robbers analogy. If LDL is robbers, the more of those robbers that you have out on the street, potentially causing some wreaking havoc on the streets of your blood vessels, the more of these HDL or, or cops that you want to have out there. Um, and basically, HDL's role is picking up excess cholesterol, taking it back to the liver, which we could consider jail and hopefully rehabilitating that to become a more productive member of your body. Um, so if you have, you know, your LDL level, I'll say is just barely above what's considered um, normal or optimal. It's in that borderline high range. It certainly isn't high enough for your doctor to say that you need any type of medication. Um, but typically this LDL and then your total cholesterol being over 200 is what often like would show up as a high on your blood work. So it might flag your doctor to talk about it. Um, based on where you are, again, you're just barely over on both of them. Um, so really, I would just say looking into some of the things that impact it from your diet would be something that's helpful to dive a little bit deeper into. So is high cholesterol due to ex like exactly what you eat or is it also lifestyle related, like being lazy? I guess not being lazy, but like sitting around and not <laughs> being active enough. Um, so it can be, you know, if you aren't active at all, if you never engage in any type of exercise, it certainly can cause your cholesterol levels, in particular, this LDL to be higher um, and that HDL to be a little bit lower. Activity can be something, especially cardio activity, can be something that helps to increase this HDL. Um, for LDL, there's two nutrients in particular that you'd want to focus on. The first one is saturated fats and saturated fats you mostly only get from animal products. Um, and it's usually the predominant type of fats that you'll find in that. So that could be in meat, butter, ice cream, half and half, anything like that. If there's a lot of fat in it, it's going to have a high amount of that saturated fat. Um, sneaky sources of this saturated fat. There are three plants that are pretty high in it. Coconut, um, actually has more of saturated fat in it than butter. Um, cocoa butter. So if you're eating a lot of chocolate that has a fair amount of saturated fat and then palm oil isn't something that most people cook with, but if you eat, um, processed foods, they use a lot of palm oil in, in those recipes. Um, it's pretty cheap, even though it's not environmentally cheap. Um, so if you have a lot of that saturated fat in your diet, essentially it can result in this LDL cholesterol hanging around in your bloodstream for a little bit longer and those levels appearing higher on a blood test. Um, the other nutrient that's super important for LDL is soluble fiber. And um, there's two different types of fiber. Soluble fiber is the type that kind of swells when it comes into contact with water. 
So a great visualization for that is thinking about oats or chia seeds in a cup of water. They look pretty different overnight. Um, and that's because they've absorbed a lot of that water since they're high in soluble fiber. The other type of fiber, insoluble fiber, isn't impacted by, um, by water. So you can think about celery and broccoli overnight in a cup of water still look like celery and broccoli. They're high in that insoluble fiber, but they don't have any of this soluble fiber that's super important for your cholesterol. Um, this is a long-winded response, but that soluble fiber is super important because basically one of those digestive enzymes that cholesterol goes into producing um, called bile. It's something that's released in our small intestines. We have to have bile to be able to break down fats into basically putting them into a small enough form for us to be able to absorb them. And usually that bile gets recycled at about 98%. But when you have a lot of soluble fiber in your diet, that bile gets stuck in it and gets transported out of the body. Since we need it though, our body kind of pulls on our cholesterol stores to make more of it. And that's really the only way that we can dictate our cholesterol usage. I mean, we can't just wake up and decide to make more vitamin D or to make our cells a lot more structurally sound. We can decide to eat more oatmeal or to eat more soluble fiber. Oatmeal is a great um, option for it um, to increase our body's rate that it produces this bile. Is there any way to know without getting your blood work done that you have high cholesterol? Unfortunately, no. Um, you can't see it. You can't feel it. Um, it's only something that would show up on a blood test. And I think that that's something that, for particularly for young people, um, is really surprising. Sometimes when you finally do get your first blood work back, maybe in your mid-20s and your cholesterol might be elevated. Um, or for a lot of people, they don't get their blood tested for the first time if there's no family history um, until maybe their 30s. And then it's you know, I wish I'd known about this sooner because maybe I could have done something to help to lower it. Um, but it, it is, unless it's super, super high and you start getting cholesterol deposits, but that's very, very, very high and incredibly rare. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's enough about cholesterol. I learned a little bit. I hope <laughs> everyone else did, but we can move on to the next one. That was a, sure. a red flag for me. <laughs> um, okay. Next one, vitamin D. Um, so where do you live, by the way? I live in Portland. So this was not surprising at okay. all, considering I have not been supplementing. And I know I really should, but I was lazy and I didn't. And I am not shocked by my low result. <laughs> yeah, basically, if you're living between San Francisco across the country to Gettysburg, um, if you live above that, um, 38th parallel, I believe is what it's called, Um between essentially October or November and April, you can't produce as much vitamin D from your skin just because the we're kind of tilted away from the sun. So the UV rays aren't necessarily strong enough. Um, usually vitamin D is something that we produce in our skin. Um, however, if you need to have sunshine to be able to do that. So Portland for the past couple of months, unfortunately hasn't been enough sunshine for that. Um, but something we also see is definitely people that live, you know, Florida, Southern California can also have low levels of vitamin D if they're always covered head to toe in sunscreen, they go outside with sleeves, they're always wearing a hat. Um, you know, we have a lot of like professional baseball players that do spring training in Southern Florida that have low vitamin D and that's because they always have on sleeves, socks, a hat, and then sunblock on their face. Um, some other things that can make vitamin D a little bit lower for some people too, is if you have darker skin, typically you need a bit more sun exposure to be able to produce that vitamin D too. So what is important about it? So vitamin D, while technically a vitamin, it actually functions pretty similarly to a hormone. Um, the most well-known function of vitamin D is that it essentially tells our digestive system that it's time to absorb calcium from the foods that we eat. So if um, you don't have enough vitamin D, your, your digestive tract doesn't get the signal to, to absorb more calcium. And in particular for um, younger females, so younger than 30, it's a super, super important nutrient. It's also important for young males. Um, but for um, any individual younger than 30, basically your bones are continuing to deposit calcium up until about 30. And then after 30, you're trying to maintain that for as long as possible. For females in particular, after menopause, the rate that 
basically calcium is lost from your bone really, really accelerates. So those first 30 years are super, super key. And downside of, um, of that is typically between ages 20 and 30, maybe 16 and 30 is when a lot of females tend to stop choosing dairy products as much. Um, you know, growing up, I feel like I always had to drink a cup of milk at dinner. And then when I was in the position to choose something else for dinner, um, I didn't often pair it with a cup of milk um, until I took a nutrition class and realized that I should probably still be drinking as much milk. And we didn't have a lot of fortified like plant-based milks then. Um, so that's really the biggest importance for vitamin D is just up to age 30 to make sure that you're able to absorb as much calcium as your body needs to build strong bones. And then post age 30 is trying just to prevent um, as much calcium loss from your bones as possible since they're going to have to last you really the rest of your life. So a lot of runners deal with stress fractures or like stress injuries on their bones over the years. Is vitamin D a component of that? Like maybe not have enough in their diet that could yeah, contribute definitely to stress? Could. Yeah, definitely. I would say calcium, you know, calcium is another super important one here too. Um, and calcium is, so we, you can test your blood calcium, but it's actually a pretty poor marker of how much calcium you're eating on a daily basis, um, your blood has a set range of calcium that it likes to have. And if you don't get that calcium from your diet with the help of vitamin D, your blood basically takes that out of your bones to maintain that because calcium is important for all sorts of other things in our body, like your muscles being able to fire. Um, and that includes your heart. So your body, your blood always has to have a certain amount in it. And it will your blood will always have that amount kind of at the expense of your bones. So for stress fractures in particular, that typically is a combination of poor nutrition. Um, in particular, if you're not taking in enough calcium, if you have low vitamin D, you generally have a lower kind of overall calorie intake too, not to mention a lot of this like repeated stress that you get from running too. Yeah. Um, and then are there ways to like, what are good food sources for vitamin D or is it that just not nearly as good as the sun would be? Yeah. Food sources are pretty tough. Um, fatty fish is kind of it. Um, there's fortified dairy products since vitamin D is so essential for our body to be able to absorb calcium. Most dairy products are fortified with vitamin D. Um, plant-based milks, you can usually also find them fortified with both calcium and vitamin D just so that they can kind of compete with cow's milk. Mm -hmm. And then it's, you know, some types of egg yolks and maybe some random mushrooms, but it's pretty hard to get a lot of vitamin D from your diet. Um, 20 minutes in the sun is kind of what's recommended. And that's 20 minutes without any type of sunblock on and ideally on kind of like your softest skin. So it's recommended that 20 minutes is like on the back of your neck where there's you know not a thick coating of hair for most of us. Our skin's still pretty soft. It's not calloused. Um, and as soon as you put sunblock on, any SPF over 15 is essentially blocking your body's ability then to produce that vitamin D. Interesting. Man, I'm, so I'm learning a lot from this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense as to why my vitamin D is low. I have not seen the sun in a long time, especially not the back of my neck. So, <laughs> and that, I mean, a supplement is, it's not required for everyone. Um, based on where your level is, it would be something that we recommend that you take pretty regularly just to help get that level up. And yeah. vitamin D is a fat soluble vitamin. So it's going to be stored in your fat stores. Um, and then, you know, as maybe you stop taking vitamin D, your body's going to slowly utilize what's there as well as, you know, once the sun comes back to Portland, it'll be supporting that a little bit. Um, it's, it's easier to maintain uh, an optimal vitamin D level with sun and food, but it's really, really hard to increase your vitamin D level with just sun and food. Okay. Good to know. And what are some like effects of having low vitamin D? Um, so stress factors could certainly be one as well as bone pain, um, but it could also impact fatigue. Um, it could make you feel much more tired and run down. It's also something that can have an impact on muscle recovery. Um, for athletes in particular, there, uh, there's research that shows that over a certain level of vitamin D, vitamin D kind of becomes almost like incorporated in your muscles and can really help with that recovery process. So it's not necessarily something that you might be able to pinpoint. It's not like a cramp that you'd have, 
but just in general, not only your muscles feeling more fatigued, maybe it taking a little bit longer for you to recover, but also just generally feeling more fatigued and tired, um, both inside your workouts and also outside of them. Interesting. Okay. Well, that was very <laughs> thorough. I love this. I love this. I'm yeah, getting deep dive into my own blood. One more thing about vitamin D, um, right now it is super, super popular to supplement, um, I feel like that was one of the COVID things that came out. People that had lower vitamin D tended to have worse outcomes. Um, it was probably some combination of most people with lower vitamin D levels also tend to be black and brown people that may potentially have had higher risks of other things. But we have seen so many people just taking mega, mega doses of vitamin D. Um, and since it's a fat soluble vitamin, you can build, you know, it's stored in your fat cells. So you can build up a lot of it. You can reach toxic levels. So if you're supplementing with a high dose, like 5,000 IUs, you definitely want to check in three months just to make sure that you still need that much. Yeah. Not just taking the supplement blindly. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, again, it's recent that we've seen a lot of people hovering up around that hundred mark and it's not something that we've really seen often before, but again, it's kind of like a super popular thing at the moment. So, um, just an important plug I wanted to put out there. Yeah. That's good to know. Good to know. Okay. Next one. I'm excited next about one. this one because I'm so confused as to what <laughs> this is. Okay. So this creatine kinase is an enzyme that naturally exists in your muscles. And anytime you have some muscle damage, this creatine kinase is going to seep into your bloodstream. So after tough training sessions, in particular strength training or resistance training, you know, the goal of that is to damage your muscles in the hopes that then they repair stronger than they were before. So typically this creatine kinase will peak two to five days after a really strenuous workout. Yeah. I remember getting this blood test after like a hard track workout and I haven't done a track workout in months. So I think that probably has something to do with it. But for those listening, the optimized zone, it said it was from 29 to 143 and my level was 1,216. <laughs> so when I got this result, I was like, oh my goodness, what is wrong with me? But uh, yeah, what's wrong with me? <laughs> so I just meant that, you know, especially where you're doing sprints. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was doing like 300s, which I'm a distance runner. So that's like sprinting in my head. I was basically going all out. Yeah. So that is just you like sprinting. You recruit a ton of your muscle groups. Um, and especially like that's a super high intensity activity, especially if you were doing it over and over again. Um, so that just meant that, you know, you were causing a bit more damage to those muscle groups than you typically do when you're, you know, not sprinting, not doing a haul, an all out hard effort. Um, so if you were sore after this workout, I don't know if you can remember that, but that also makes sense. If your muscles are sore, that typically is going to correlate to us seeing an increase in this creatine kinase. Um, there are two different things that make you feel sore, but typically both of them have to do with kind of repeated high intensity or high exertion, um, movements that your muscles are, are, you know, in, either incurring damage or having to fire very, very rapidly in order to support. Yeah. I feel like I need one more blood test, like a, another update, because what if, what if again, it's at like 1200, then is that a problem if it's like repeatedly high like this? It can be. Um, so typically again, we would see this one be high two to five days after a tough workout. Um, if you took you know, time off or didn't hop right back into more muscle damaging workouts, we would see this definitely come down quite a bit pretty quickly. Um, if it's, let's say you tested, then you took two weeks off and tested again, and it's still high, that could be a good indication that your body's not recovering very well. Um, this isn't something that you'd always want to see super high because you also don't want to be exercising at that high of an intensity, causing that much muscle damage without your body really having an ability to recover from it. So like in training, periodizing your training, definitely this makes sense to sometimes push your muscles to that point, but also super important to note that you did get a lot of muscle damage from your last track workout. So maybe the next time you do one, building in an extra rest day or two just to help your muscles really recover is important. Yeah, maybe I went a little too hard. I did remember, <laughs> I definitely overworked myself that day, but I guess it really shows in your blood. That was very interesting though, because 
I like have no other indicator other than me being a little bit sore, but seeing like the effect that it has on your blood work to like do those track workouts or strength training, it's very interesting to see the direct effect it has on the inside. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's super popular in CrossFit, this thing called rhabdo, which is not a fun or popular thing to get, but basically it's when you have so much muscle damage, it's rhabdo is short for something called rhabdomyolysis, which is basically they diagnose because your creatine kinase level is like at 10,000. Um, so thinking about how intense you are using your muscles that you're not recovering to get that creatine kinase level that high has super serious implications. Um, for runners, it's not for distance runners. It's not something that we see that frequently just because a a lot of long distance running, you typically would see that stress on your joints, which shows up more as inflammation. Um, but definitely if you're doing hills, if you're doing sprints, or if you're doing any type of, um, like strength training or resistance training, that's causing a lot more muscle damage than typically long distances. Definitely though, if you, if you ran a marathon and got your blood tested, most likely this would also be there just because you yeah. kind of push your muscles to a point. Um, but you know, uh, after a normal five, 10 mile run, whatever, you know, is a normal distance for you, you wouldn't expect to feel sore muscles so much. So we also wouldn't expect to see this CK so high. So then how do I bring this down? Yeah. So that's, tough. The only thing that's really going to bring it down is time. Um, having enough rest and recovery built in just so that your muscles can recover. Um, and also making sure that you have enough protein in your diet. So having enough protein in your diet, isn't going to prevent this from happening. Um, because again, it's the point of training is to cause this muscle damage, but knowing that there has been muscle damage, making sure you have enough protein in your diet is super important so that your muscles have the building blocks that they need to recover. Um, really for this though, it, it's just time and making sure you have kind of that downtime, um, especially if you know, you're having a normal amount of protein in your diet too. Good to know. Yeah, this, I mean, this has all been very, very telling. I mean, I think it just also stresses the importance of recovery and training because even yeah. though like maybe you're not feeling it day to day, like if your blood levels are all like if your creatine kinase is always elevated like this, then it's just going to have negative effects on your training. So a hundred percent, your damaged muscles incur a lot more damage than recovered muscles. So you can kind of think of it as like a sleep debt, almost like if you are not getting enough sleep, it really builds up. Same thing with muscle damage. The more damage that you put on top of damaged muscles, it's just going to prevent like it's just stretching that time period before you can actually have recovered muscles that can be productive um or can like be strengthened be stronger whatever you want whatever term you want um without that recovery period it's super super important yeah recovery guys it's it's the name of the game especially with distance running so yeah and we sometimes get asked for this one if it's related to creatine supplements it's not Um, even though creatine is also in the name, but a creatine supplement isn't something that you'd see here. Creatine, um, helps to support kind of the phosphocreatine system, which is like the first split, like split second of muscle activity. Um, it wouldn't show up here necessarily unless you incurred a lot more damage, but taking a creatine supplement wouldn't cause this to go up or come down any faster. Okay. Good to know. Um, cool. Okay. Well, let's move on to the next one, which is the one that was hands down the most shocking of my blood work, because I would like, if, if you ask anyone or anyone that knows me, they would say that I'm a stress-free person and I would categorize myself as that as well. But then when I got my cortisol levels tested, which is the stress indicator, the normal range was five to 18 and mine was 33. And then I looked at the graph, um, of like inside tracker users and I was in the top 5% or something. And I was like, Oh, lovely. So help. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. So cortisol, um, a little backstory kind of on what cortisol is. So basically what cortisol does in our body is it breaks down muscle and converts some of the building blocks of muscle, your amino acids, A handful of amino acids can become glucose, which is the primary fuel source that our muscles and our brain um, use. 
other organs can use it too, but in particular, your muscles and your organs are super key. Um, so like that kind of sounds pretty crappy. You wouldn't necessarily want something that's breaking down your muscle, but evolutionarily it made a lot of sense. It's our fight or flight hormone. So if you were walking along the desert 5,000 years ago and a lion jumped out at you, you'd get a really big um, surge in cortisol which would be breaking down your muscle to hopefully provide you enough energy to outrun or fight that lion. Um, and while most of us aren't like kind of in those types of life or death situations anymore, any type of stress is going to have the same type of impact um, just in how our body responds to it. So in addition to just stress, um, not getting enough sleep can cause this level to be high. Not taking in enough calories can cause this to be high and not having enough rest and recovery between your workouts in particular if they're pretty high intensity um, is another thing that can cause this cortisol level kind of to stay up. Um, we can break down each of those things if you want, just because I think for a lot of athletes, um, particular endurance athletes, it's a specific type of person um, that finds themselves following a training schedule all the time for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> See, okay. I feel like I am not like that though, which is like, I feel okay. like I'm not very type A. I feel like I'm kind of type B, like relaxed. I'm self-employed, which is, has its stresses of its own, but it's, but it's more like relaxed. I would say just cause I can set my own schedule and everything. And I feel okay. like I get enough sleep. Like I get, I don't know, eight to nine hours a night. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, I was definitely doing around this blood test. I was doing hard workouts. I was probably doing like one to two workouts a day because I was training for a triathlon. So, um, yeah, I mean, I definitely was like doing hard workouts, but maybe How about I, I never, intake? I felt like I was getting in enough, you know, I don't, but it's hard to tell, I guess I wasn't feeling any negative negative effects of fatigue or I wasn't injured or anything. Um, so I feel like I know my body pretty well and I was getting in enough calories. I don't know. It's, it's hard to tell though. Like, honestly, um, especially dealing with triathlon training, which has been like, honestly, double the training I was doing for mm -hmm. running. Um, it's hard to tell like what is correct yeah. and what isn't, which is, it's just a lot of trial and error, I guess. But well, yeah, I was very shocked. Of triathlon is eating. It, it yeah. takes a lot of intention to take in that much energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I, I honestly think I wasn't doing a very good job of eating right after training. I think that might have something to do with it. Like I would just, I would eat a big breakfast before I went out and trained, but then I just like would wait a while after training to like be hungry, I guess. But I don't know if that's like, a, I don't know. It's, it's really hard to tell. I feel like I'm well-versed in nutrition too. So it's kind of sad to see that my cortisol is so, it's so high and that I don't really know exactly what is affecting it. Gotcha. Some medications can cause it too. Um, hormonal birth control can result in your cortisol level being high too. I mean, I'm not on any medications. So. <laughs> okay. So not the case for you. <laughs> and then I like that. Uh, I, I feel like I am stressed though, day to day. Like now after this, getting this result, I was like, I am, I feel like I am always kind of in fight or flight mode in my brain. Like I feel like my thoughts are always racing. So maybe that has something to do with it. I like to have one of the, um, the ways to like help it is to practice mindfulness, which I've never done in my life. So maybe I should start doing that. Yeah. I will. When I first started working at Inside Tracker, I started as an intern um, while I was working full-time and going to grad school, but I really liked what the company was doing. My cortisol was right where yours was. Um, and it was the first time I would, I have always been a stress ball. My um, nickname from my dad growing up was Minerva because I told him I was nervous so often. <laughs> and that was the first time that I'd seen what my thoughts were actually doing to my body. Um, you know, you can, I kind of like to think of cortisol as like a softer side of training. You can look at your times, like see if you're, you know, you're doing all your workouts as prescribed. Um, but this is a great way to, again, look at how you're handling other types of stress, your sleep, your nutrition, and as well as making sure that you have enough rest and recovery in there. Um, perhaps not you, but maybe for a lot of your listeners, that kind of type A personality of always like running on stress of maybe adding something else to your plate um, or rethinking 
um, you know, all of the times that you've embarrassed yourself in your entire life before you go to sleep, just to get that little like adrenaline surge, um, not super helpful. Also results in this for, I think one, like a good first step, if you are that type of person is just acknowledging when you're having those thoughts that aren't serving you, um, that literally no one else in the world remembers, but for some reason you choose to torture yourself with all the time. Um, as far as that mindfulness practice goes, yeah, that can be meditation, um, which can be, you know, seated meditation. It can be walking meditation. It can be for a lot of people like adult coloring books or puzzling or journaling. Those are all kind of ways that you can incorporate a mindfulness practice. Um, a book that really helped me was called 10% Happier. It was just like a different way to kind of approach my thoughts that I really, really appreciated. Um, right. I'm, I'm writing this down because I, these are the steps I will be taking. So. <laughs> but it's also, you know, I, I think it's interesting in the U.S. in particular, just like how we, I guess, define success is very different than other countries um, where like we are constantly trying to push ourselves and do more. Um, whereas in other countries, it's also like you're successful if you're happy. Um, if you're like taking time off and those types of things. So yeah, anyways, I, I think it's an important one to talk about in particular. Again, I know that you, this isn't your case, but if you're on hormonal birth control, that's also going to cause this to be a little bit more elevated, um, which cortisol is kind of like the chicken or the egg where having a higher level of cortisol can make you feel more stressed and frazzled, but also feeling more stressed and frazzled can increase your cortisol. So I feel like for females, anyways, if like, if you're on hormonal birth control and you are feeling super stressed and like anxious, a lot of the times, one thing that might be causing that is just its impact on cortisol. So what is the negative impact of having high cortisol? So exactly what cortisol does is just to break down muscle and convert it into glucose. So for athletes in particular, making sure that your cortisol is as low as possible is super important. Um, because all of that work that you're doing to strengthen your muscles, you don't want that to be undone because your cortisol level is high. So this is oftentimes, you know, again, stressing the importance of rest and recovery while, you know, why, if you got like a bad night's sleep, you only got four hours, that's going to be something that increases your cortisol. What's going to have a bigger impact on your training is you skipping your morning workout to get enough sleep to bring this cortisol level down not pushing through a super tough workout on, on three or four hours of sleep. Man, that's um, so interesting. Making sure that you have those, um, you know, rest days that are built in there. I think something that a lot of people don't realize about exercise is that, and I should say I've done two half marathons, so I, uh, or um, half Ironman. So I, I get the super high level of training. Um, but one thing that people don't understand about exercise is that it, it is the most stressful thing that most of our bodies will go through other than childbirth or some very serious type of injury um, or some other type of trauma. Um, but basically, and by stress, I mean that your body is not able kind of to keep its homeostasis or it's like normal self. Um, depending on how intense that workout gets. So typically we receive feedback of our muscles feeling tired or getting cramps. Um, and that's an indication that our body has kind of gone past the point of, of quote unquote normal. And exercise is really the only thing that pushes us over that point pretty repeatedly. Um, that's a huge stressor for the body. Um, our sympathetic nervous system is kind of the, the nervous system that we don't really get we don't have any impact on. It's like what controls our heartbeat, our rate of breathing. Um, so definitely letting that sympathetic nervous system kind of go back to normal. It takes a little bit of time um, and constantly going into super high intense work or high intensity workouts is also something that can just result in this cortisol staying elevated for, for too long. So what can people do other than like trying to address their thoughts? Is there like a food related aspect of for this? food for the most part it's just making sure you're having enough energy um so again just because one way i like to think about this is just because you're not eating enough food doesn't mean that your body doesn't need energy so it's going to go find that energy and if it finds that energy by breaking your muscles down to provide the energy that other muscles need in particular also your brain requires 
um, that's going to be something that causes elevated cortisol. We also see this a lot. It's not uncommon with triathletes just because it requires a lot of food to do that much activity. Um, but we also see it with athletes that are intentionally not eating enough carbohydrates just because for normal people, carbs make up about 50% of your calories for endurance athletes that can shift up to 70% super easily. So if you're intentionally restricting such a large portion of where your body gets energy, and in particular, the type of energy that your muscles want to use um, during endurance activity, um, which is carbs, you're also going to see this cortisol um, level being higher too. Um, so that's a big one, making sure you're getting enough sleep. Eight to nine hours a night is a good place to start. Um, and then making sure that you have those rest days where your heart rate doesn't get elevated. Um, I think something, you know, again, that your heart rate, go, like hit workouts coming out, okay, things to do maybe three days a week, but ideally you're not going to do those back to back. It is not normal for your heart rate to meet, to reach your like max heart rate every single day of the week. That's a lot of stress for your body. Yeah, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, well, this makes me feel better. I feel like I'm gonna take steps in the right direction. I mean, I already have, since I got this test done in February, I've definitely tried to better myself. So I'm already, I'm like intrigued to get another test just to see if anything has changed. My efforts have been um, yeah. to work. I, th I think too, just being aware of it is also, it's just a cool thing. Truthfully, I wanted to work at InsideTracker once I got my cortisol tested, just because it, again, it was like such a objective measurement for something that I thought didn't matter. Yeah. Um, it's just cool that your body gets this type of feedback and that it's something that like you can improve. And not only do you see your marker go down, but you physically feel better when your cortisol levels also lower. Yeah, exactly. And it's like someone, I feel like I know a lot about myself and like nutrition and what I run best on. Um, and it's just interesting to see like from my blood standpoint, what I still need to work on, even though I like can feel great. I feel like there's just things that could make me feel even better, which is why the inside tracker test has been <laughs> very eye-opening, especially with the cortisol <laughs> thing. I just, I literally would have never known that my cortisol was high until actually getting it done. So it's been very interesting. Um, well, let's do one more, whatever you can like look through and see what is the most important before we get to like the questions, um, yeah. that people had. Um, let's see, I think I'll do there's so many, let's see. I know there's, I like... there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of data provided. Most of them are just like barely outside. One thing yeah. that I'll just point out is this liver enzyme group. So we test three different liver enzymes, ALT, AST, and GGT. These, this ALT and AST, while they're primarily liver enzymes, they're also things that are found in the muscle. So when there's muscle damage, we also see these elevated. Um, and typically these are gonna be elevated about seven to 10 days after a tough workout. Your CK is two to five days. Um, so it could like, this one is on its way up. Probably if we had tested you a few days later, I'm sure both of them would have been just as high as your CK. Um, but that's something that we see a lot with, um, you know, just athletes that are incurring muscle damage too. fun fact. Typically, if you do pretty strenuous exercise or do a lot of resistance or strength training, you typically get excluded from, um, like clinical trials for drugs because it looks like all of this medication is causing liver damage when in fact, it's just because you're active. Mm -hmm. um, this third marker that's your GGT, yours is perfect. Um, if there was really an issue with your liver, we'd also see this GGT be elevated. Okay, good to know, because I was a little scared. I was like, I mean, I do like to have occasional drinks with my <laughs> friends, you know, am I like, is yeah. my liver deteriorating no. or? Just exercise, I would say. The other one, yeah. just quickly, I'll touch on is this B12. Um, B12 is something you only get from animal products, really. Um, you can also find it in fortified foods for people that don't eat animal products or donate a lot of them for vegans and vegetarians. It's an incredibly important one to supplement with or eat fortified foods. Um, if there was a marker on here that would make me want to pick up the phone and call someone, it would be if they had low B12, just because that starts like very low, less than 200, that starts causing damage that you can't ever repair. Um, whereas like if your vitamin D is low, you can always increase that. 
um, there's not gonna be any lasting damage from that. But a lot of young women in particular start a vegan or vegetarian diet for whatever reason without doing any sort of research on the types of nutrients that they're gonna need to supplement with. So I always like to give that plug um, anytime that there might be a, a young female experimenting with that diet might be listening. Yeah. Any dietary change, I feel like researching it is probably a good idea before just embarking on it because you see someone on Instagram or YouTube <laughs> doing exactly. it. Exactly. And yeah. I also teach, um, I teach intro nutrition courses and call in at a college and there's just, you know, people that are like 18 to 21 when they move out of their parents' house, you know, it's when you really get autonomy over your food choices, dairy tends to drop off. Maybe you start experimenting with vegan and vegetarian, which is fine. It's just, you also definitely need to make sure that you're filling any nutrient gaps that happen when you completely eliminate food groups. Yeah. That's good to know because I know, I don't know. I, I got a lot of questions about that too, about like just specific diets and what people would need more of and less of. So that is definitely good to know since plant-based is becoming a lot, a lot bigger of a trend. And then yeah. one thing I do to eat to get vitamin B12 in my diet is I use nutritional yeast, which is really tasty mm -hmm. way to get it. Is there any yep. other plant source or is that mainly it? Um, so technically fortified foods might have it. Um, that B12 is made by bacteria. Um, so there are some types of kombucha or sauerkraut or kimchi that could have it. It's just that it's not like a consistent dose that you can kind of rely on. Um, most times it's also not reported on their label. There is a kombucha company, I think hum, um, that lists B12, but I think they also fortify it. Um, but like plant-based milks, great thing to check the label and make sure it's fortified with B12, vitamin D and calcium. Um, not all of them are, but like most soy milks or almond milks that you'd find at the grocery store, um, are and then any type of fortified like breakfast cereal is also going to have b12 in it um energy drinks are another source of b12 um if you have an energy drink every day you probably are taking in like four thousand percent of your of your daily b12 needs <laughs> good to know um <laughs> okay wait one other one i want to talk about since it's like so prevalent in runners is having like low iron so mm. i know my mine was like decent um yep. it was actually pretty good for female for me, my ferritin level was 58. And like, I don't know, I used to have one. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, mine used to be like 30 something in college, I think. So I'm like fine with, even though it says borderline low, I think I'm fine. But um, you're like right there. You're right yeah. at the optimal zone. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about like iron and ferritin and why it's important for athletes? Yeah. So an iron deficiency is the number one micronutrient deficiency in the United States. And that is almost entirely um, attributed to premenopausal females, especially if they're active, especially if they're endurance athletes. A um, few things with that, if you're premenopausal and you have a normal cycle, you're losing a lot of iron every single month. The requirements for females are three over three times that of males, um, but the food sources that contain iron are much less likely to be consumed by females than males also. Again, I think it's a lot of that draw towards maybe vegan or vegetarian or trying to eat lower fat or just, I don't know, not eat enough food in general to change your body and not support your performance. Um, if I'm gonna get on a soapbox for a second, um, but types of foods that are pretty high in iron, um, truthfully, the highest sources are gonna be mollusks. So clams, mussels, oysters, um, octopus is super high and then whelk, sea snail, um, which we don't eat super often here. Um, but red meat is another source of iron and, um, you know, for varying reasons, people may choose not to, to eat red meat. Um, that's the most common source of iron in like the U S diet. You can also find iron fortified in a lot of the same types of breakfast cereals that you'd find vitamin or B vitamins fortified in. I was just eating a bowl of life the other day and it had like 13 milligrams of iron, which is the most I've ever seen, like, uh, on a food product I'm consuming period, um, which was very surprising. Um, but other than that, it's some plant sources have iron, but our body, basically there's two types of iron. The, the form that you get from animals is much more readily absorbed than the form you get from plants. Um, our body can utilize the form from plants, 
if necessary, um, but it goes through, it has to be kind of transformed into that type of iron that you get from animals in order to be absorbed. And that just takes a little bit longer. Um, another thing with um, plant sources of iron is that if you have a high amount of fiber in your diet, that can bind to that iron and make it impossible for your body to absorb it. So beans are a good source of iron, but our ability to absorb it is actually pretty low because they're very high in fiber. Um, spinach is often something that's touted as a good source of iron, but spinach is also really high in something called oxalic acid, which binds to that iron and makes it so that we can't absorb it. Um, putting some sort of like lemon juice or vitamin C in particular on your plants um, can help with that conversion. Um, but it, it, iron's a, a pretty difficult one. And for runners in particular, if you are running is let's see, it causes a lot of friction in your kind of trunk area. And that friction can be kind of like a little bit of micro internal bleeds, which you lose a little bit of iron through that. If you have a normal cycle, you're losing iron through that. And then also when your foot strikes the ground for running, any red blood cells that are passing underneath your foot when you hit the ground are susceptible to rupture. And if they get ruptured, then um, they go through some type of recycling process, but that also leads to an increased need for iron to be able to replace those red blood cells. Um, so iron's super important for making your red blood cells, which is basically how a lot of things transfer around your body. Um, and in particular, hemoglobin that goes on your red blood cells is what takes iron from your lungs and then transports it to all of your muscles. Your muscles need oxygen in order to convert energy that you eat from food into a form of energy that your cells can use. So that's why when you're engaging in like running, your muscles need a lot more energy. Therefore, they need a lot more oxygen, which is why your respiration rate increases a lot and why your heart rate increases a lot. All of that is geared towards moving more oxygen to your muscles and helping to remove a lot of the waste products from your muscles. Um, hopefully at a fast enough rate, so you don't tip out of kind of that normal and then start feeling fatigued. So iron is also, is that fat soluble too? Can't you have too high of levels on that as well? So it's not fat soluble, but it, as a mineral, it can deposit itself in soft tissues. Um, it's something that is relatively rare. There's genetic conditions that people have that can do that. Um, for iron supplements, it is possible to reach toxic levels of taking way too much of a supplement. If you go to the grocery store or um, a pharmacy, like for the most common dosage of an iron supplement is 65 milligrams, which is a ton of iron to take at once. For most people, your body's not going to be able to absorb all of that, but also it's just a ton of iron. It can also leave you feeling pretty constipated. Um, instead, what would be recommended is taking a much smaller dosage multiple times throughout the day. And ideally, you're going to take your iron on an empty stomach just because if there are other compounds in food like fiber or even other minerals like calcium, magnesium, and zinc, those can all have an impact on how much calcium your, or excuse me, how much iron your body can absorb. So trying to take a smaller amount of your iron supplement, either one hour before or two hours after a meal, maybe two different times throughout the day is really the best way you can maximize your body being able to utilize that supplement. Okay. Well, this was a very good run out of my results. Um, I've learned a lot. I'm glad that I finally got on to talk to you because I was very curious. I mean, I did my own research after getting these results back because I was curious and scared about, <laughs> about some of them, like my cortisol and stuff. But um, this has, I don't know, it just gives me actionable things to do in the future in terms of my nutrition and lifestyle. Maybe start meditating. Awesome. Probably. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and but for meditation, it can start with five minutes a day. Um, yeah. It doesn't have to be you sitting on the floor for hours um, to have an impact. Yeah. Yeah. Slow and steady. Um, okay. Well, to end the episode, we can go through these pretty quick since I've already taken up a lot of your time, but um I just wanted to answer some of the like main listener questions that people had because people are always interested in learning more about nutrition in terms of like performance and stuff. Um, but we can just go through a couple of the most common ones. But okay, um, what effects does underfueling have in the long term? Uh, so many things. Um, one, you can see definitely it could show in your cortisol. 
Um, so it could be counteracting the work that you're doing to strengthen your muscles. Um, in that case, it could leave you more susceptible for like a strain type injury, but it can also leave you more susceptible for a stress fracture if you're constantly under fueling. Um, that is probably the thing that's most associated with um, those stress fractures. Uh, REDS is the condition um, of like chronically under fueling. And it's important for athletes to, female athletes in particular, but all athletes to not think of like themselves compared to their friends that perhaps aren't active. That REDS is relative energy deficiency in sport. Um, it's looking at how much energy your body needs for your activity level um, and constantly being in that energy deficiency is a really great disaster or a really great recipe for disaster of causing some sort of injury that's going to completely sideline your ability to be active. If performance really is your goal, then you need to fuel for performance. Um, you, you can't do both. Um. Can you talk about how people should eat in terms of like their menstrual cycle? Um, like, should they eat more during their cycle? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I would say you should listen to your body's hunger levels all times, regardless of what it is. You might notice that you're a little bit hungrier during your cycle or leading up to your cycle. Um, and that's okay. That's normal. But following what your body is asking you for fuel, or if you're not quite sure how to interpret those signals, setting out kind of like a rough plan of how much energy you want to consume before your workouts, after your workouts, and through your three main meals and, and you know three or more snacks throughout the day. That's really what's most important. Truthfully, there's just not research about eating for your menstrual cycle. Um, yeah. If you, yeah, you're going to lose some iron. So eating more iron rich foods around your cycle. Great. Um, but following what your body needs is definitely most important at any time, not just during that cycle. How long did it take for you to become a dietitian? Um, five years. So it was, I did, um, I studied nutrition in undergrad and then went straight into the year long um, internship program afterwards. Um, to be a dietitian, you have to do it. It's almost like a mini residency. It's just a year. You go through community, clinical, and food service rotations, and then you have to pass a registration exam. If you already have a bachelor's degree, though, there's all sorts of great master's programs that are hybrids, and you can get both your, um, you can accomplish that dietetic internship and do all of your requirements to be a dietitian in three, two or three years. Um, so there's a lot of awesome programs of, you know, someone to go back to school and do it doesn't have to take five years for everyone sweet um <laughs> I've got a lot of questions about like digestion and running and like how to minimize race day poops or even during workouts or runs do you have any tips on that yeah um one it would be important before your workout to not have high fiber foods that can also be the night before your workout um to try and minimize just like super high fiber things. So instead of having like a bean based pasta, maybe just have white pasta, um, just so that you have a chance to kind of clear all of that stuff out. Um, also, I would say that that's just a super individual thing and you have to train your digestive system to be able to utilize fuel, just like you train your muscles. So don't show up on race day having something you've never had before. Um, it really does just depend. Some people can have a banana beforehand, like before a long run. Other people, a banana just is the worst thing that they could have. Um, so start small, include that kind of fueling strategy into your training. And that's really the best thing, um, best way for you to figure out what works. Um, should everyone get a blood test? How do I know I'm getting everything I need? And like, what makes inside tracker special in your opinion? Um, so I am biased. I would say if you think that you're not getting certain nutrients or enough of them, um, or if you're considering taking supplements, then I would encourage a blood test in particular for vitamin B12, vitamin D and iron you don't need to just assume you need to blanket supplement with them. You should check out if your levels are low um, before you start taking a supplement. Um, for a lot of people, 
those markers tend to be a little bit lower just because it, for some people, it's harder to get them from foods, in particular, those premenopausal female active um, category. Um, I would say, yeah, I think it's a great thing to get blood work. That's why when you go to your physician, they're going to give you blood work at least once every three years, just to try and make sure that you can course correct before things get um, out of control. Um, we always kind of like to think about it as just looking under the hood um, of like trying to see if your check engine light is on before your car breaks down. Why do you think inside tracker is special compared to like other random blood work tests? Um, why well, it's the feedback that you also get from inside tracker that really sets us apart. Like you can go to your doctor's um, you can get a printout of things that you're high and low on, but it doesn't actually tell you what to do. Um, there's no explanation as to why. Um, same thing with other companies that you could just go and get a blood test with. You're not going to get the wealth of information on what to do with those results. And now there's so many different ways that you can collect data on yourself. But if you don't know how to interpret that data or change that data, the data is pretty useless. Yeah, I really like it because of like the plan that you get on the phone and it just makes you, it holds yourself accountable for getting in like the things that you need to get in on a daily basis. And it's kind of, it feels good to like check it off, you know, when you eat my probiotic there's, foods, check. There's some type A in there. I know that there is. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe there is actually, see, maybe I'm just like telling myself I'm not, but I am a distance runner. So I guess I, I, I probably do have a bit of that in me. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, the last question I want to end on. Um, so for someone who's like trying to eat healthier or just like looking, say they're a young athlete getting more into nutrition, maybe they want to start cooking for themselves. What tips do you have or like, what should they focus on mainly? Um, I would say number one thing that's most important for an athlete is taking in enough calories. Um, again, it, it's hard when you're exercising at really high levels to intake that much energy. And it's not something that just happens. Um, it's something that you really need to plan and prepare for. Um, so that's one protein is another important one, especially again, for, um, younger females, making sure that you have enough protein in your diet to really support your muscle recovery. A good kind of calculation for that is taking your body weight, divide it by 2.2. And most athletes need somewhere between one and 1.8 of whatever that number is. So your weight in kilograms, um, if you're doing a lot more high intensity stuff for very long duration or a lot of muscle damaging strength training, you're going to be up towards that 1.8. If you're kind of just recreational, you like to run, you know, three miles once or twice a week, just for fun, then you probably are going to be fine closer to that one end. Um, this I feel like is surprising for a lot of people, but eating raw fruits and vegetables is something that should be deprioritized if you are engaging in a lot of activity, just because that takes up a lot of space without giving you a ton of nutrition. Um, so cook your vegetables, you can eat just as much, or you can get all of those nutrients, but you can eat a lot more as well as just taking in more energy too. That's so funny that you say that. Cause I remember I had a food Instagram, like when I was in college, especially when I like started getting into nutrition and I just noticed my food was always so Brown. All of my food was Brown like because none of it was fresh because I cooked everything just to make sure I was getting in enough food. I didn't eat that many raw fruits and vegetables. So that is funny that you say that. So maybe it's the mo not the most aesthetically pleasing, but it works. And I think it tastes and, better in my opinion. So yeah. And truthfully, if you're, you know, if performance is your goal, cucumber is not going to get you there. Cucumber gives you nothing. Um, instead, turn that into cooked zucchini that you have with some oil and put it on top of rice. Like for the same volume of food, you're going to benefit so much more from zucchini and rice as opposed to a cucumber. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm sure a lot of people learned a lot from this episode. I know I did. I also learned I'm a little bit more type A than I thought. Um, <laughs> but I appreciate you coming on. I don't know if you have any, like, do you want to plug anything? Do you have anything to plug? <laughs> Um, truthfully, my, like outside of Inside Tracker, I've been with Inside Tracker for six and a half years as their lead nutrition scientist. I'm also a sports dietitian. Um, my passion project outside of Inside Tracker is really cholesterol, just because there are so many relatively healthy people that think that they're doing everything right that still have high cholesterol, just because of those nutrients in particular not being in the right amount. 
Um, so you can find me at lower.cholesterol.nutrition on Instagram if anyone is interested in cholesterol out there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Taking the time to educate us all. I'm hoping everyone learned a little bit, but I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Emma. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of Combos Over Cold Brew. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you guys got something out of it. I know I learned a lot about my own personal nutrition from this episode because the blood work was obviously mine, but I hope you guys got answers to your questions. You learned more about nutrition and maybe you guys are even more inclined to go check on your blood work and see what you guys can improve on in the kitchen and just general lifestyle changes. Make sure to follow at Convos Over Cold Brew Pod on Instagram if you want to be up to date on new episodes or submit listener questions. And don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I will hear from you guys in the next one. Peace out, fellas. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.